Our sermon text is Proverbs 1, verses 20 through 33, and you can find it on page 339 in the Papal Bibles. Wisdom cries aloud in the streets. In the market, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gate, she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you because I have called you and you refuse to listen and have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you, when terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me, because they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will, be, and will be at ease without dread of disaster. This is the word of the Lord. Y'all a bunch of liars, aren't you? <laughs> you heard that passage and you said, thanks be to God. <laughs> you heard, you heard, uh, I will mock when terror strikes you. You heard, I will laugh at your calamity. And you said, thanks be to God. <laughs> Come on now. Uh, so uh, that's a little terrifying. So maybe instead, let's talk about video games. Uh, I have a friend who, is, uh, who, who, who makes video games. If you're, I mean, I don't know, under 40 now, you probably grew up at some point in your childhood playing video games. And maybe even if you're uh, over that, you, you play, maybe you still play them now. More and more, they're marketing them toward adults. Uh, I feel like it's a, it's a medium that has not quite come of age. I feel like it's, it's interesting things happen in it. And, and uh, new, new ideas are being developed in video games all the time. And I have a friend who makes video games uh, that I went to high school with. And he's actually um, he's becoming pretty successful. He has, he has like employees and infrastructure and stuff. Um, he... Uh, uh, he's kind of in the in the what, what they call the independent game market. There are companies called Robot Loves Robot Loves Kitty. Um, if you're into that sort of thing, you can check them out. Their their games are getting pretty popular. But they are working on a game uh, right now that they're calling Oopsalon Circuit, and it's a that's the Greek letter Oopsalon. It's not like Oopsie Daisy Alon Oopsalon. Um, uh, it's called Oopsalon Circuit, and the premise is that uh, you only get to play it one time and you have one life when you play it and then you never get to play it again. Uh, when you, you know, if you grew up playing, say, Super Mario Brothers, you know, the, the way you learn a video game, right, you put it in, you turn it on, you pick up the controller. I mean, some of us don't even read the manual first. You just start playing and then the first Goomba kills you. 
And then you figure out how to jump on top of that, and then the first Koopa kills you. And then the first time you kick a Koopa shell, it bounces back, and it kills you. And you try again and again and again and again, and you figure out the mechanics, and you figure out the physics, and you figure out the buttons, and you learn, and eventually you can get all the way to Bowser in one life in 12 minutes and win the game. But that takes a lot of practice and a lot of learning and a lot of trial and error, um, a lot of failure. Um, how would you approach a video game if you knew that you had one shot? And if you get killed by that first Goomba, that's it. How much more cautious would you be? Not only how much more cautious would you be, but actually how would you approach it? Uh, do you think that you might want to hear from people who had played it already? Um, do you think that you might really actually want to carefully read that manual before you started? Um, you know how to hold that controller and think about the controls before you even, before you even start. Um, you want to read the blogs and the Twitter feeds and watch the YouTube videos from people who have played it already to figure out how not to die right away. To figure out how not to mess up and fail miserably, uh, oh, by the way, on TV. Because it's going to be broad, broad, the game's going to be broadcast live on YouTube. Um, and that's going to be the fun of it is you get to watch other people play it. Um, a fascinating idea, and it does something that, and will do something that has never happened in video games before, which is it makes wisdom necessary. It makes listening to other people who went before you necessary to survive. You can't just start to play the game and, and expect to figure it out, because you will die, and that'll be the end of it. Um, what's amazing to me about this is how Countercultural uh, wisdom is in, uh, in American culture. Um, it hasn't entirely always been, but the seeds of this rejection of wisdom have always been part of our culture. From the very like the, the the reason we came here hundreds of years ago was because we wanted to reject the ways of the elders. We wanted to try uh, new ideas in a new place from scratch because if we can get away from the poisonous. Uh, corrupt ideas and the corrupt systems that are in Europe, and we'll come to this new place where nobody lives. Actually, they did. Uh, maybe we can start over and everything will go just fine. Um, ben Franklin writes, and you know, you've probably heard me mention this before, he writes his autobiography, really casting the narrative for this whole culture. What it means to be an American is to leave the place where you grew up and go to a new place and make a life for yourself according to your rules and figure things out for yourself and experiment and establish yourself and become wealthy enough that you can help other people for the rest of your life. That's the, the American narrative that, that Franklin established. And, and fundamental to that is leaving the place where you were born, where you were raised, and leaving behind the, the, the traditions that fetter you. Interestingly, Franklin liked wisdom. He liked to write wisdom, all his poor Richard Almanac and Proverbs and stuff that he wrote. But fundamental to his story is leaving behind. In some way, uh, the most Franklin-like thing you can do is to completely ignore Ben Franklin. Uh, so the idea of, a, of something as American as a video game Writing into the structure of it, the need for listening to your elders uh, is, is pretty surprising to me. Uh, and it brings, to, brings right in front of us how important wisdom is because 
Kind of like this video game, I don't know if you've noticed, but that's how life is. You only get the one shot. And that's why wisdom in the book of Proverbs is so desperate to get our attention. Because she knows that you've got one shot. And if you don't listen to the people that came before you and avoid the mistakes that they made and, and read the manual of the game and figure out the rules and figure out the controls before you get too far, you're going to die. And that'll be it. You don't get a do-over. Uh, I'm, I'm fascinated to see how this game takes off. I'm fascinated to see whether a concept like this will work. Um, because there's going to be a way that this game works and a way that it doesn't. There may be many ways that work, but there are going to be ways that it doesn't work. There are going to be fundamental laws to it. And only by learning and observing those fundamental laws are you going to be able to be successful in playing this game. And that is exactly what, what this character, this lady, wisdom, is saying to all of us in this passage. That you need to learn, there is a way that the world works. And if you try to live your life in a way that, that flouts that, that ignores it, uh, destruction is going to come to you. Uh, so that's her first point, is that there is a way that the world works. Um, there is uh, what philosophers used to call the law of nature. There is a moral law of nature. And it calls to the way that wisdom is, she's out in the street, she's lifting up her voice, she's calling to everyone that goes by, uh, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me, so that you don't die. Um, the laws of the universe are easily accessible. They are calling to all of us all the time. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's sometimes contentious right now uh, that you know, uh, many atheist thinkers are, are very adamant to say, uh, you can be moral, you can know morality without being religious. And the Bible agrees, right? The Bible agrees that... that the moral shape of the universe is easily accessible. It's like a voice standing on the sidewalk shouting to everyone that goes by. Um, it's similar to what we call the physical laws uh, of nature in that way, right? It's similar to those laws of uh, physical laws of nature because it's not optional. The law of universal gravitation is not optional. All right, theory of relativity, okay. But the fact that if you drop a pen, it's going to fall to the floor, it's not optional. Uh, the fact that if you want to fly a plane, you have to learn aerodynamics and you have to have enough thrust uh, and enough lift uh, in order to do it, it's not optional. Uh, it's also similar to the, uh, to the laws of, to the physical laws of nature in that it's fairly obvious. No one had to teach you that if you drop a pen, uh, it's going to fall. You picked up on that real quick when you were an infant. Um, no one has to teach you that hate and murder are wrong. You picked up on it. You know it. No one had to teach you uh, that uh, adultery and promiscuity are wrong. You know it. You know it already. No one has, like, it's shouting to you um, that bullying is wrong. It's shouting to you. You know that it's wrong. Um, you know them 
just by living in the world, just by the fact that you live on this planet, you know how physics works. Uh, you know, there's nuances that you can learn. There's better ways to leverage it, if you will, uh, if you learn more about it. Uh, but uh, the basics are really, really obvious. And it's the same thing with the moral law of nature, that it's clear. Uh, just by living in this world, you intuitively know the things that are right and wrong. You know that generosity is good and stinginess is bad. You know it. Uh, no one has to teach that to you. Um, but wisdom, by talking this way, raises a question. Why do we need a moral law of nature? Um, uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, my daughter was asking me about, my six-year-old, five-and-a-half-year-old, was asking me about what it's like to go to space. You know, so we were talking about gravity and how there isn't any gravity up there. And that if you're in space, you're just floating there and you can't go, you can't move anywhere because there's no gravity holding you to the ground so that you can walk. You just are floating there. Uh, you need, you need gravity in order to have the power to move around. Um, we need the laws of physics to be reliable uh, and to be uh, fundamental uh, in order to even walk around, much less accomplish anything else. Um, if, uh, you know, what would it be like if there were no physical laws? What would it be like if, if the laws of physics could be bent or suspended every time somebody made a mistake? If, if every time somebody, you know, tripped and fell because they weren't paying attention, they were being careless, and they were going to smack their face on the ground, gravity stopped working so that they wouldn't fall. Uh, if every time um, somebody stupidly threw a rock up in the air and was going to fall on their heads, gravity stopped working so that they wouldn't get hurt. Um, you know, what if the, the, the laws that hold atoms together could just stop working at any moment? Um, we wouldn't be able to live. We much less interact with each other. We wouldn't be able to be the kind of beings that we are. We wouldn't be able to have the kind of world that we have. And it's the same thing um, with the moral laws of nature. Um, C.S. Lewis was reflecting on this one time in the, in the Problem of Pain. He said this, The idea that God can and does on occasion modify the behavior of matter to produce what we call miracles uh, is part of the Christian faith, right? We believe that God can do that if he wants to. But the very conception, and catch this, the very conception of a common and therefore stable world demands that these occasions should be extremely rare. In a game of chess, you can make certain arbitrary concessions to your opponent, which stand uh, to the ordinary rules of the game as, quote-unquote, miracles stand before the laws of nature. You can deprive yourself of, of a castle to help your opponent, or you can let the other player uh, take back a move that they made inadvertently. But if you conceded everything that at any moment happened to suit him, if all his moves were revocable, if all of your pieces disappeared whenever their position on the board was not to his liking, then you could not have a game at all. You understand that? That in order to have a game, in order to have a world in which we can be human beings and interact with each other, there have to be laws that, that we operate by. There have to be laws of nature. 
He says, so it is true with the life of souls in a world. Fixed laws, consequences unfolding by causal necessity, the whole natural world are at once the limits within which their common life is confined and the sole condition under which any such life is possible. Life isn't possible. Life isn't possible without laws of nature. And the same is true of our moral lives. Um, what is true of the physical world is true of the moral universe. Without moral laws, we would not have a universe in which we could actually live and interact with each other. If it weren't the, the case um, that adultery is going to cause you pain, that uh, using pornography is going to dull your senses and make you less able to love, if that weren't the case, we wouldn't be able to have a world in which love existed. If it weren't the case that if you bully another person, uh, you are going to reap pain on yourself, that you are da- going to be damaging your own soul by doing that, we couldn't have a world in which love existed. Okay, so wisdom, especially in the book of Proverbs, is the skill of knowing and applying the moral law to new situations. Wisdom, in the, especially in the book of Proverbs, is the skill of applying and knowing and applying the moral law to new situations. So the moral law, uh, we you know, typically call the Ten Commandments. You shall not kill, you shall not steal, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not covet, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, uh, you shall have no other gods before me, you shall not make for yourself any graven images, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. All of these things, these are things that all human beings know. I know if you're not a Christian, you don't believe in God, some of those things, you might not, you might think, well, those aren't obvious to me. I don't even believe there is a God, so it's certainly not obvious to me that there isn't one, that, that there's only one that I should worship. Let's put that thought on hold for a second. I'd like to come back to it. Um, but generally, especially the ones that are uh, common, uh, that are about how we relate to each other commonly, um, those are definitely obvious and known by all of us. Um, what wisdom wants to do is teach you how to take those and apply them to new situations. Um, you could say, and I think that this is, this is, here's a rule of thumb for you if you're, when you're reading the book of Proverbs. Almost always, not, maybe not quite always, but almost always, um, you can trace one of the Proverbs back to one of the Ten Commandments. So it's, it's a reflection on that commandment and an application of that commandment to a, a particular situation. And so wisdom is setting an example for us on how to do that. Let me, let me give you some examples. Uh, Proverbs 22, 28 says, Do not remove the ancient landmark which your fathers have set. In other words, there's a boundary between your property and someone else's property, and there's a landmark that, that his father and your father set up, or his grandfather, your grandfather, or great-great-great-grandfather set up to say, this is where my property ends and yours begins. This is where my family stops and yours starts. Don't move that. Okay? That would be stealing. It doesn't say that would be stealing, but it's pretty clearly a reflection on an application of the law, you shall not steal. If you do that, you're going to be causing yourself pain in the long run. Uh, Proverbs 17.20, a man of crooked heart does not discover good, and one with a dishonest tongue falls into calamity. Okay, that is 
a reflection on an application of you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, right? So don't lie about other people. If you're a person who has a crooked tongue, uh, a crooked heart, um, you're not going to be, you, the consequences, you're not going to be able to see good when you do see it. You're not going to be able to, to notice it when you do see it. Uh, and a person with a dishonest tongue will fall into calamity, right? He's applying and looking at the consequences of violating that commandment. You follow that? Here's another one. Um, a good, this is, and this is where it gets interesting to me, right? Proverbs 22.1, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold, which is also a reflection on you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, isn't it? Right, because... You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. What's underneath that is the idea that a person's reputation is really valuable. So don't bear false witness against your neighbor because his reputation is valuable. So your own reputation is therefore also valuable, more valuable to you than silver or gold. So protect your own reputation uh, at the same time that you're thinking about protecting other people's reputations. Um, don't here, you know, here's a modern proverb. Don't procrastinate before uh, on studying for your exam. Right? That would be an application, a wise application of the commandment that in six days you shall labor and do all of your work, and on the seventh day you shall rest. Um, don't bully and dehumanize people. It would be a reflection on you shall not murder. So that's what that's how wisdom functions. Right? That's how uh, that's what this woman wisdom, this figurative woman wisdom, is wanting us all to do. She's wanting us to understand the, the owner's manual of the game, to be able to apply it to new situations when they come, because we only get the one life. We only get the one shot. So let me give you, here, here are the rules. Now let me give you dozens and dozens of examples of how to apply those rules to avoid suffering for yourself and causing suffering for other people. All right, wisdom is shouting to everyone. So wisdom is learned from observation. It's learned from experience. It's learned from others, and it's learned from the Word of God. It's learned from knowing what those commandments are. And the interesting, you know, one of the interesting things here that she says is that wisdom makes clear is that wisdom is not a matter of brains, but a matter of love. Wisdom is not about your raw intelligence. Um, Logan mentioned this last week. You can probably think of some very, very intelligent people who do foolish things, who, none, dis, despite being very, really smart, uh, do things that are flouting the laws of the universe. Um, I was a fairly smart kid. You know, maybe I don't know what happened. Um, but I was a pretty smart kid. But when I was 12, my father made this tire swing that was, it was probably a 20-foot rope stretched between two uh, trees, and it was over a hill. Um, and it was really fun. Um, but you needed like three other people to pull the swing back on a rope, and then you release this, release the rope, and you'd swing way out. So when you didn't have, you know, your brothers and sisters or your friends around to do that for you, you could like grab on the bottom of the swing and run like mad down the hill and swing way out. And then you swing back. And my best friend and I thought that it would be fun to like drop off while we were up there. And that was, uh, we did. It was fine. But then I got the idea, well, it would be, maybe I'd be able to get even higher if I let go while I'm still on the upswing. And what happened 
of course, you know what happened because wisdom cries aloud. My feet went out from under me and I fell backward, I don't know how many feet, uh, and landed. My arm just, you know, instinctively went behind me and I landed with the full force of my fall uh, on my wrist like this behind my back on a flat rock that happened to be hidden in the grass. And I snapped my wrist in two places. Right? Being intelligent didn't help me there. Willfully ignoring the laws of nature is what caused my accident. Um, wisdom says to the gullible, to the simple, how long will you love being simple? Not when are you going to get smarter, but how long will you love being simple? How This is verse 22. How long will you delight in scoffing? How long will you hate knowledge? The problem in verse 24 is not that you were unintelligent, but that you refused to listen. In verse 25, you ignored my counsel. You would have none of my reproof. This is a choice that, that uh, the, the foolish person is making. It's not that, that they don't know better. It's that, that they are choosing not to know better. It's that the way gravity works, I knew how gravity worked. I knew how momentum worked. I just wanted to do something that I thought was fun, and so I chose not to think about it, and I got hurt. Right? And that is what wisdom is saying is the case with all of us when we ignore the moral laws of nature. We are choosing to love being gullible, choosing to love uh, being foolish, choosing to delight in scoffing, in ignoring her, in refusing to listen to her. She sounds a little frustrated. Um, she sounds a little put off. Um, and by the way, we're, talk we're talking about wisdom having emotions here, so let me just quickly say, in case it's confusing, there's no such person named wisdom. This is not an angel. This is not pre-incarnate Jesus. Um, this is a poetic device called personification. We don't use that a lot, uh, but I did see a tweet earlier uh, this week that said, uh, no, it was, it was this morning, um, that said, uh, there, uh, Canada must feel like the child whose mother and older brother are both descending into chaos at the same time and doesn't know who to try to help first. Okay? Talking about the political situation in the country. Whether you are not accept the, the, you know, the premise that those two countries are falling into chaos, the point is not that wisdom, the point is not that Canada is a person. The point is that it's sometimes helpful uh, and rhetorically powerful to take a, an abstract idea at something really big and make it small and manageable by talking about it as if it's a person. And so that's what, that's what the author here, that's what Solomon is doing um, with his character wisdom. And there are several characters in the book of Proverbs. There's a character called wisdom. There's a character called folly. There's a character called the fool. There's a character called the angry man. There's a character called the adulterous man. There's a character called the adulterous woman. There's a character called the contentious woman. These are archetypes. These are personifications. There's the character of the father and the mother who are trying to advise their child. There's the character of the child. Uh, these are personifications to make the ideas easier to manage. Okay. So wisdom sounds frustrated. She sounds a little angry. I'm, st I'm trying really hard to get your attention. She is uh, so uh, uh, 
afraid for the people that she sees that she's willing to go out on the street, do something that, I mean, in Northern European culture is pretty unladylike, and shout at everybody. Don't follow those people. Like, and this is, this is actually, I'm, I'm mentioning that because the passage before this is about exactly that situation. It's, it's about, uh, it's the father warning his son not to go with the wrong crowd. And so wisdom is joining in that. Wisdom is like, don't go with those people. Don't follow those people. Don't go with those guys. It's going to be bad for you. You're going to get hurt. You're going to be dead. Uh, the law of nature and wisdom. This is the second point that wisdom is making here. Is that the law of nature is hard and for, unforgiving if it is ignored. Uh, if you jump out of the third story of a building, you're going to hit the ground. Um, it doesn't care how bad your day was or how much you had to drink or what the situation is that led you to do that. You're going to get hurt. And the moral law is the same. It doesn't care. It's completely unyielding. And that's what wisdom is saying here. You're gonna, when your calamity comes... Uh, I'm going to laugh, right? If you violate the law of nature, it will break you. If you commit adultery, it will break you. If you try to get rich without working, it will break you. If you refuse to rest from your work and instead neglect your family, your friends, and your God, it will break you. If you refuse to take pity on those who have less than you, it will break you. If you slander someone else, it will break you. If you kill, dehumanize, bully, hate other people, it will break you. The law of nature will crush you. And it will be like it's laughing at you when it does because you should have known better. You did know better. Wisdom has been crying out to you since the day you were born. This is how it works. Don't do it that way. Do it this way and you won't get hurt. but you've ignored her over and over and over. And she says, your calamity will come to you. Now let me say quickly here that the calamity that she's talking about, that she says, your calamity. Other times in the Bible it will say simply calamity or disaster. Your calamity is not talking about natural disaster. It's not talking about oppression. Proverbs has a lot to say about uh, accidental pain. Um, Ecclesiastes especially has a lot to say about accidental pain and the futility of life. Um, Proverbs has a lot to say about oppressors and oppression. But the calamity that wisdom is talking about here is the calamity that you deserve for what you did. It's not general calamity. It is specific. It is yours. It is what you earned. It's what's coming to you. Wisdom laughs when this happens. She will laugh at our calamity. It's not because she's cruel or sadistic. It's because she loves truth and righteousness and loves seeing truth and righteousness vindicated. I mean, you have experienced this emotion when you have seen somebody who you knew was a rotten person and they seemed successful and then something finally happens and they lose. I mean, even if you haven't seen it in real life, you've seen it on TV. When the, when the most repugnant character in your favorite show finally gets what's coming to them and you feel this swell of joy. Finally the scales are righted. 
Uh, it's not because you're being cruel or sadistic to that person. It's because their sense of relief that justice has been served. That goodness is vindicated. The truth is vindicated. Wisdom really wishes that this weren't happening to the fool. When she sees the calamity, she's not laughing because this is what she wanted. She's laughing in spite of the fact that she didn't want it. She warned him, and she's warning you, and she's warning me over and over and over so that when our calamity comes, we're, we don't have an excuse, man. Uh, that's why she's bothering to warn people. And the message is, you can't blame anyone but yourself. Look at verse 32. Look at it. The simple are killed by their turning away. The complacency of fools destroys them. There is a way of talking about the wrath of God in the Bible that is personal. That is, God is personally offended when you hurt somebody else. And he's going to take their side. Uh, he's going to get his hands dirty making things right. This way of talking about the wrath of God is different than that. This, is, this way of talking about it is, this is simply what happens. Uh, you have no one to blame but yourself. It's your, the fool's own complacency is what's destroying him. Not somebody else. Wisdom isn't destroying him. The moral law is not destroying him. His own complacency is destroying him. His own willful delight in ignorance is destroying him. The moral law of the universe isn't out to get you, but if you choose to disregard them, disaster will find you every time. And it will happen to you because you have ignored wisdom's call. I have ignored wisdom's call. You know, there are probably, uh, there is probably calamity out there waiting for me for things that I have done wrong. Uh, I've ignored wisdom call. You've ignored wisdom's call. She even says here in verse 24, that I've stretched out my hand, but no one has heeded. She is coming as far as she can to meet you. And this is, this is what St. Paul describes in Romans chapter 1. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppressed the truth. Right? They knew the truth, but they suppressed it. Just like this fool uh, that wisdom is talking about. What can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. His invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. Let me speak to you again uh, if, if you are not someone who is sure that God exists. Um, I'm not going to try to prove that he exists by talking about cosmology uh, I think that's valuable stuff, I'm not gonna, but I'm not going to try to prove it to you by uh, talking about uh, creation and evolution and the law, you know, and the, the anthropic principle and the laws of nature and all these kinds of stuff. I think that stuff's interesting. I think it's compelling. But the thing that I'm going to say to you is what the Scripture is saying to you, which is that you know that He exists because you hear wisdom calling out to you. You feel the eyes of God watching you when you do something rotten. You feel it. I feel it and you feel it. When no one is around, you feel the eyes of God watching you when you break the laws of nature. And it makes you afraid. And that is how you know he's there. He's revealing himself to you in that, in your conscience. He's revealing himself to you so that you and I 
Do not have any excuses. Continue to read this. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Again, this is a choice. This is not about your raw intelligence. This is about choosing to be futile in their thinking. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, animals, and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up. Therefore, God gave them up. He allowed the laws of nature to take their course with, with people who willfully ignore him. Uh, he's not, in this, in this description of his wrath, he's not actively trying to punish you because he's mad at you. He is stepping back and taking his hands off and letting you have what you wanted, which was to fall out of the plane, to ignore the laws of nature and see what happens. And what's going to happen is going to happen. Thanks be to God. (laughs) But there's another voice. The voice of wisdom cries out to us. But once the law of nature has beaten you down, then maybe you can begin to hear the call of Jesus. Wisdom calls to the immature, to the foolish. But once you've ignored her, it's too late. But there is another voice. The voice of Jesus is lifted up, first of all, in prayer for you. Passage we read. Jesus says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. Right? Lord of heaven and earth. The one who who put all these laws in place and set them in motion. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things, that is his work and how he saves, you've hidden them from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone whom the Son chooses to reveal to him. And then he says this, the wisdom is out there calling to you. Come to me, I will teach you. Come to me, I will instruct you. Come to me, I will show you what to do. I will teach you how to live so that you can avoid disaster. But when disaster comes, it comes, and then wisdom is not going to answer when you call to her, she says. But Jesus says, come to me. Not the simple, not the immature, not the young. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, because I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. When your disaster has come, Jesus is calling to you. When your calamity has crushed you because you ignored the voice of wisdom, the voice of Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When your calamity has beaten you down, Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. They shall be comforted. When your complacency, when your complacency, when your complacency has destroyed you, 
because you did not come to wisdom when she called, you may finally be able to hear the voice of Jesus, which has been calling to you all along. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. When your turning away has taken everything from you and you're shriveled like a grape in the sun, then you may finally be able to hear the voice of Jesus saying, everyone who thirsts, come to me, and I will make a river of living water flow from you. When the burden of the law of nature has finally broken your rebellious back, you may finally be able to hear the voice of Jesus saying, take my burden. It's easy and light. I will take your burden, that crushing weight of the law, and I will bear it for you. Once you've earned your disaster, wisdom cannot help you anymore. All she had was advice. That's all she, wisdom has for you is advice. But once you've ignored her, she has to ignore you. She's got nothing else to give you. Once you've ignored the advice, she has nothing left, and she will ignore you. You will cry, but wisdom will not answer. But Jesus has borne that load as well. When he was nailed to the cross, hanging, beaten, and bloodied by blows that you earned with your folly, your deliberate ignorance, with your delight in scoffing, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And there was no answer. He cried out, and wisdom didn't answer. He cried out, and God the Father himself did not answer. So that when you and I cry out, we will be heard. We will be rescued. Through his work, by being found in him, by hearing his call, come to me. If you're thirsty, come to me. If you're laboring and heavy laden, I will give you rest. I will quench your thirst.